Hey, Boomer, you want to go on an adventure? Do I want to go on an adventure? Hmm. Hi, guys, are going on an adventure? Nothing like a Boomer reporter coming out of his basement. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Ed Garston with episode 53 of Tales from the Beat. You know, I don't get out much, well, to cover stories, that is. Being semi-retired, freelancing for Forbes.com, I knock out most of my stories from the comfort of my home office in my basement, conducting interviews over Zoom or Teams or whatever electronic method lets me wear sweatpants below a more suitable shirt. But when you're a news guy, look, no matter how old, there's something you never lose. And that, of course, is the urge to actually be out where the action is. Now, I've been covering the UAW strike against GM, Ford, and Stellantis pretty much the way I described above. But the other day, I decided, you know, I just have to put on some, like, actual pants and maybe shoes. And I ran down to Ford's giant assembly plant in Wayne, Michigan, in suburban Detroit. It's about a 30-minute drive from my house. I told my editor... I was going out to get some pictures and perspective. But, <laughs> good BS, right? But what I really wanted was, yes, pictures, but to speak face-to-face -face with striking workers, learn their stories, find out why walking off the job was worth any financial sacrifice, and yes, to smell the fires in those barrels along the picket lines where picketers could find a little warmth. They all smell about the same, and I like it. Well, I spoke with a guy wearing a reflective vest and a big, huge smile. His name is Roger. He said he's just three months from retirement and could have easily just ridden out his time, but he told me it was worth spending time on the line to try to win financial security for, as he called them, the young ones. Well, he's a cool guy. Roger told me the aggressive tactics taken by UAW President Sean Fain were unlike anything his predecessors had ever attempted, and at first it scared the hell out of me, he said. But now Roger can't wait to see if it all pays off. And I spoke with a woman, didn't want to give her name, no problem. I told her whatever insight, information she could offer was more important than her name. Okay, cool, she said. Now she's more relaxed. I don't care if we don't get everything Sean's demanding, but just something better than we have now. we got to get something. Well, the point is, you don't get this stuff just sitting in your basement in front of a computer, and I'd be out there every day, except I'm not a full-time reporter anymore. I'm a freelancer, and after a certain number of stories, they stop paying me. And honestly, work for free is not the kind of charity the IRS will let me deduct. Now, I do think how things have changed, mainly due to technology, social media, the economy. Back in 1998, when I was CNN's Detroit bureau chief and correspondent, I covered the entire 54-day strike at two GM parts plants in Flint, Michigan. It resulted in the automakers shutting down completely. It cost it $3 billion after taxes. We were out there every single day on the picket line, at the union halls, on the phone. Facebook and social media weren't even invented. The UAW president couldn't go live. Neither side posted details of their demands, offers, counteroffers. You got what you got from digging, from sources, from gumshoe reporting. 
that working at CNN meant also doing about a billion live shots. I stood at a corner in front of Flint Metal Stamping for hours and hours and knocked out one live shot after another for CNN, for Headline News, for CNN International, for CNN Affiliates. Makes it kind of hard to get any reporting done. I'd have to tell the sound tech to kill my mic so I couldn't be heard over the satellite feed. Then I'd quickly make a call or two in between live shots out there on a corner to try to dig up some new nugget of news I could report. Frequently, other reporters on the scene would stop and listen to what I was saying to see if they were either missing anything or if I was full of shit. Now, I remember two of my friendly competitors, one at the Associated Press, the other at USA Today, paying especially close attention as I was on the air. Now, you must know... Print reporters are so contemptuous of broadcast journalists figuring we're all about hair and makeup and not about honest reporting. When I get off the air, they walk up to me and actually said, we were listening to you and everything you said was right. Well, why wouldn't it be? Now, since we were friends, they took no umbrage when I shot back. I bet you wish you could say that about your stories. All's fair on a breaking story, right? Well, that strike went on so long it actually jeopardized a promise I had made to my then 10-year-old daughter. Now, remember, this was 1998. The Spice Girls were huge. Well, I'd scored free tickets to their show at the late great Palace of Auburn Hills, about a 30-minute drive down I-75 from Flint. CNN, God bless them, understood the gravity of the situation. And... <laughs> Hard to believe, right? They actually sent in a reporter to relieve me while I dashed down the freeway, took my daughter to see baby sporty, posh, and scary. Ginger just left the group. It's very sad. And it was to that moment the best day of my daughter's short life. Then I ran back up to reclaim my spot, staking out the endless contract talks. When the merciful end to the two-month ordeal was about to come, there were no social media posts, no tweets or whatever they're called now, no Facebook Live webcasts, none of that stuff. The most plugged-in reporters got tips on their phones from their best sources. Then, to make it more official, a guy comes running out of the Holiday Inn where the talks were going on and yelled, Hey, press conference, 30 minutes, get set up inside. That's all we needed. So analog, so fun. You know, there's... Something about being outside on the scene, building relationships, swapping tips, where to get the best sub sandwiches for lunch. Now, a little bit of a tangent, but the folks at the plants always know the best lunch spots. It's never a chain place. Now, the guy at the local deli named for the guy who owned it was freaking Picasso of subs. Best bread, best meat, best cheese, best bullshit to share when picking it up. Wasn't always bullshit. The great sandwich guy was also a great listener and often picked up tips he'd exchanged for tips. You don't get that stuff sitting at a laptop or scrolling emails and texts on your phone. Sure, it's convenient and fast, but it's not as fun. And I bet the chain store sandwich you ordered from DoorDash sucked compared to the Stradivarius of subs wrapped in wax paper with a fat pickle tucked in by the guy at the deli by the plant. Well, it was fun getting out for a morning, chatting with folks, just hoping to get their share of the bounty and a better life. Made my life better, too.
before I descended back to the basement. <laughs> That's Tales from the Beat for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you'll share, subscribe, comment. I'm Ed Garston, and I'll be back next week with more tales. Take care.